Moncrief on News Talk. Now, when all the drama and the reports and the committee hearings are all over, a central question will remain in relation to RTE. How should it be funded? Roddy Flynn is an Associate Professor at the School of Communications in DCU and he's been looking at how they do it in other European countries. Roddy, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Now, I mean, I think it's been well ventilated about how advertising is falling because you know, the online space is robbing it from everyone, really, not just uh, uh, from RTE. So there is, uh, uh, there is an income problem uh, for RTE. The model that RTE currently has where it's, uh, it's partly publicly funded and partly advertising, is that common or uncommon in other countries? It's the most common way of funding public service media in Europe. So that's what we call the dual funded model. Um, I mean, we tend to maybe look at the BBC and think, oh, that might be the norm. Mm. And the BBC obviously doesn't have advertising. It's largely reliant on the licensee. Although even the BBC gets a bit of a quarter, quarter of a million from the state every year from the British Foreign Office, in fact, so they can support the World Service. Right, OK. Because it's very important for soft power. But then again, it would have, you know, BBC America would be have a commercial item uh, oh, element yeah. to it. That's a really good point, yeah. actually, because they are, to some extent, a commercial broadcaster because of their income, which is about five or six billion sterling every year. About a billion of that is coming from programme sales. So they're fantastically mm. successful at selling, you know, the Sherlock's of this world, and yeah. the Doctor of this world, Top Gears for that matter, overseas. But coming back to your question, the, the main the main way of doing this is that dual funded model, and that's largely been a recognition of you know just the sheer cost of broadcasting, especially when we moved into an era of television. Um, you know, because just that much more is twelve times more expensive, you know, to produce yeah. an hour of television than it was uh, an hour of radio, even back in nineteen sixty when we switched. Um, so that's be- that's been the norm, but I think in the last maybe twenty twenty five years across Europe in particular, there's been a kind of a reassessment of that, and part of that does grow out of the point you're making about the changing nature of the advertising market. Um, I like the way you described it as the Robin R. Yeah, I mean, maybe I was a bit touchy on no, that point. No, because I, I, I get it. Because I mean, that's not just an issue, obviously, for RTE. It's oh, an issue yeah. very much for a commercial broadcaster yeah, yeah. like uh, News Talk. And it's an, it's the nature of advertising has changed. Uh, uh, an online platform um, gathering, robbing, actually might be more appropriate, data um, in, a, uh, uh, in, in such a fashion is able to offer, you know, targeted advertising. If you say, I would like to reach out to the 15, 34-year-old, I don't know, Johnny Cash fan who lives in an eight-kilometre radius of Terman Fecken, yeah. you know, um, the platforms can offer that in a way that with respect to News Talk and RTE mm. and, and, and no one else basically can because they don't have that kind of data and nor should they have that kind of data, <laughs> you know, about their audience. So, I mean, yeah, RTE has lost about 100 million in uh, in commercial income in the last, what are 10 or 15 years? So from about 245 down to 143-ish. Maybe I have that backwards. Maybe it's 243 to 145. But that's never coming back um, mm, to RTE. Yeah. It's not RTE's fault necessarily that they've lost that. It's not because they're producing less attractive programming than they ever were. It's not even because of the economic recession. The overall value of the advertising market in 2023 is greater than it was in 2007, 2008. Mm. It's just... The nature of the market has changed. Less you know? of it, a slice of it. Now, the the, the model we have now, mm. the license fee, where you pay a certain amount of money if there's a television in your home, in your yeah. home, whether it's working or not. Apparently, yeah. it seems to be the rule. In any other European country, are they still taking that route to to collect the revenue? Ours is. I mean, we are being increasingly the kind of the odd ones out in this respect. So yeah, as you say, I mean, just just to be absolutely clear, because not everyone gets this. So a, a television license fee is that it's a license to own a TV set, a technology, right? A technology which is not and has not been necessary to access public service content 
Uh, since the 1920s, mm-hmm. uh, when we had radio. <laughs> um, I mean, initially, of course, the, the, the licence was a radio licence, but that disappeared in 1972 and became a purely TV-only thing. Um, so it, it doesn't really make sense anymore. It's a 20th century solution to what is now a 21st century kind of broadcasting environment. And in many countries, I, mean, I think there are five countries left in the European Broadcasting Union. I'm open to correction on this. That's out of 49 um, you know, public service media that still have a system that looks more or less like ours. Um, lots of company or countries have what they call license fees, but they're very different. So an example of that might be, I mean, something that's been mooted in this country um, by an Oireachtas committee back in 2017, which is this household broadcasting charge, where a fee is levied on the fact that you own a house, actually, rather than the fact that you own some kind of broadcasting technology. And the reasoning Kind of behind that is that um, public service media, public service content is important. It should be funded. And if you're living, if you're a citizen living in the island of Ireland, then you should make some, or in the Republic of Ireland, you should make some kind of, you know, um, contribution to that. And I'm careful there to say, by the way, public service content and public service media, because that doesn't necessarily just include a public service institution, an overtly public service institution like Mm. RTE. It could include precisely this station. It could include um, Today FM and the, the local commercial stations. RTE is not public service broadcasting. You know, it is a public service institution, but there are many ways of producing um, yeah. content. So in some countries, um, they uh, attach this household broadcasting charge to the electricity bill. So it's essentially, it's a system that's occurring anyway. So they just piggyback on the existing system. In some countries, it's a bit like the local property tax. It's collected by the revenue commissioners at source. And there's lots of advantages to this, by the way. I mean, you mentioned about, you know, evasion or you kind of nod in that direction. So we have one of the highest rates of licence fee evasion in Europe, but 15% of people who should be paying it do not pay it. Yeah. Um, um, we also, as you say, it's there's a there's a thing you can do with OnPost. You can fill out a form um, if, where you can declare, I do not have a television set capable of receiving a signal anymore. Uh, I think there are 13% of Irish households now really? officially do not have... Would that t- cover a smart TV then? If you had a smart TV and you have, you know, all your apps in it, but you don't have the RTE app, then are, are, are you clear in that regard? If it would have to, the only thing that would not cover, that the only thing that would be safe to have, that would be basically like a dumb screen, like the kind of, basically the kind of thing you would plug your computer in. Yeah. So I think a smart screen is almost certainly going to be possible to plug that yeah. into, I think. So, so yeah. that would be um, included. And the final benefit about that, by the way, is that... Um, about 12 to 15 million euro disappears every year. No, sorry, not disappears, but is charged every year by the collection agency um, on post, post. <laughs> which is on post, which frankly has not done an amazing job um, yes. of this. And yet, char- and, th- and yet they take a further 12 to 15 million out of the licence fee. So almost without doing anything by going to a household broadcasting charge, which I'm not necessarily advocating for, mm, yeah. you'd probably earn an extra 30 to 50 million euro uh, in licence fee like yeah. that. Now, it's often been said, and it's hard to argue, that the, the, the current model is very regressive. It, it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire mm. or, or, or you're absolutely yeah. poverty-stricken, you have to pay the 160 quid. Yeah. In other countries, have they approached that? Yeah, so there's two kind of models, and these are the models that I think are the ones probably worth most worst in investigating. So in Finland, the broadcaster is YLE, the public service broadcaster, and it's called there's a thing called the YLE tax. And this is what is referred to as a hypothecated tax, which means it's a tax where the tax is ring-fenced. It's been gathered for one purpose and for one purpose only. Mm. 
And the finish tax is charged on, levied on individuals, not on households. Um, so you could have two individuals in a single home um, paying it. It tops out at €163, Euro, um, but as you say, it's a progressive tax. So you only start paying any kind of contribution if you earn if you earn €14,000, I think, uh, or more. And then it goes on a sliding scale from zero up to €163, um, Euro, depending on your, your income. And it, it's, as I say, it stops at €163. And it's even maybe not so much more progressive as it's more uh, it's widely spread because businesses pay it as well relative to I think it's their revenues might be their profits but probably their revenues and a business might be asked to pay as much as three thousand euro uh, as a contribution uh, mm. to that tax and the effect of that in Finland is, is kind of astonishing so the Finnish population is not very different from ours it's about five and a half million people we're five point one million people and that raises just over half a billion euro every year. That's more than RTE earns from yeah. commercial and license fee put together, substantially more, about 150 million more. And in, in fact, even YLE does a little bit of commercial advertising, mainly because if they have a popular sports show, like a sports or sporting event, advertisers are clamoring basically to get advertising around it. So I think they get like two or three million euro every year from that. But it's like less than, it's like half a percent of their total income is coming from that, that commercial revenue. Sweden looked at this and went, yeah, we'll have that. So in 2020, they adopted essentially exactly the same measure. Now, there are maybe reasons why it's not appropriate in every conceivable context. But to me, that suggests the possibility um, that you can have public service broadcasting, which is in fact entirely divested from commercial funding. Mm. And that YLE tax that come, you know, that people would find find that listed on their on on their payslip rather than exactly they that. get a letter in the door. The way of thinking about it would be something a bit like. I mean, there's many ways of paying the local property tax in Ireland. For me, I just kind of set up with my employer, the mm. university, D- DCU, basically. They, so it's withdrawn. It's sort of invisible, you know, kind of in, in, in the way that disappears. So, yeah, that's um, exactly how it, how it goes. I mean, there is a kind of a visceral reaction amongst Irish politicians to the word tax and broadcasting. Of course, yes. Um, and I, I'm often, I've often wondered, is that, I mean, is that actually reflective of kind of wider public opinion and kind of abhorrence of the idea of, you know, tax and broadcasting? It, it's essentially the same charge as your existing, I mean, the household broadcasting charge, for example, or household broadcasting tax, let's call it a tax, mm. would be identical to the current license fee system. It would cost no more per household than it's, than it's currently costing. So... And I think there's a kind of a, there's something telling about, I think, the the political conception of the value of public service broadcasting, that there's such reluctance to kind of to, to contemplate a fully funded, uh, fully, mm. fully publicly funded system. Well, because politics are involved in these things, I suppose the thing about a license fee is it's such an easy target. Yeah. And people will say, I don't want to pay that license fee because... I don't watch RTE yeah. or I don't like that program. Yeah. What am I paying it for? Mm-hmm. It's it's too easy to do that. The other model, I suppose, and actually maybe if you go back to the, the YLE tax, is always that worry that if it's somehow taken out of direct taxation, that that gives a politician the annual power to say, I'm not going to give you any money this year or less money this year because you annoyed me. The idea of direct, direct exchequer funding is worrying for that respect. And there are, you know, national contexts where that has been problematic. I, my sense is, for example, so Spain, for example, has had direct exchequer funding for a long time. And in what happens in Spain, essentially, is there's just a decision made every year by the parliament. How much money are we going to give um, the broadcaster? And the broadcaster has to sort of cut their cloth to suit whatever is made available to them. 
Now, it's not an entirely arbitrary number either. The broadcaster says, this is what we intend to do this year. This is how much we think it'll cost. And, you know, the the money is, some kind of figure is arrived Mm. at um, accordingly. There are things you can do, I think, that will mitigate the risks of kind of political intervention. Um, It does require um, the state, you know, respecting that. And to be honest with you, the Irish state hasn't been fabulous in that respect. In theory, for example, the licence fee is index-linked. It's meant to go up in line with inflation, Mm. and it did for about five years, between 2003 and 2008. Then the economic recession happened, and it was just like, well, you're not getting any more tax increases. And I suppose, to be fair, for the first couple of years after the economic recession, we didn't have inflation. You know, in fact, if anything, we had deflation. But since then, I mean, given in particular in the last couple of years where inflation has been out, the licence fee, which has been the same now for 15 years, should really have gone up. Gone yeah. up. Not quite through the roof, but it should certainly, mm. you know, ha- have increased. One protection, potentially, against kind of political interference is to have something like uh, a media regulator make an assessment every year of, say, a submission from your public service broadcaster um, as to, um, you know, what is actually required. And so what we have now, Commission the Man, the, yeah. the successor to the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. And this is kind of hinted at in the Future of Media Commission report last year. Their vision was direct exchequer funding to replace the licence fee. But that Commission the Man uh, or the Media Commission would play a role in saying um, to RTE and to TG Cahar in particular, but also I think to a wider range of broadcasters, look, um, make, give us a proposal. Mm. Tell us what it mm. is that you intend to do next year that has a public service um, element to it. Give us the costings for this and we will make a, an independent assessment of this and then make a recommendation to government as to exactly how much money should be given over to RTE, to TG Car, or to some expanded version of the existing Sound and Vision Fund, which is a at the moment, a licence fee funded um, fund administered by Commission Demand, which is available to every single broadcaster, yes. commercial or otherwise, mm. community or otherwise, on the, uh, in fact, here on the island of Ireland. The BBC Northern Ireland can apply for this if they want to. They yeah. haven't very much, but they can. <laughs> you know. Yes. Is there a general acceptance of what is public service broadcasting uh, around Europe in the sense that, I mean, it's... One could look at RTE and say it's 2FM, a public service broadcasting mm. is half the programmes and RTE 1 or 2, public service broadcasting. The BBC has Radio 1. Is that public service broadcasting? So is, is that kind of, if you like, almost mixed model prevalent around Europe too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's in some respects, this is a, not, not how long it's a piece of string, but it really is kind of the answer would vary depending on which country that, that you looked at. In some mm. countries, it's extremely... Public service broadcasting is very po-faced. Like it's kind of it's kind of just news and current affairs, and it's yeah. kind of mostly documentaries, um, set kind of about the about history. But in most countries, that's not what it is, right? It's a kind of it's full spectrum kind of broadcasting, and you have to sort of think back to the fact that the arrival of commercial broadcasting, not just in Ireland but across Europe, is it's not late in the day, but. So um, 2RN, which is the predecessor to um, RTE, starts broadcasting in 1926. And it has the field to itself, at least in legal terms, until 1988, until the Radio and Television Act. So it's got like 60 years. Okay, there's pirate broadcasting going on in radio. Sure, yeah. Um, But the point is then that as the only kind of game in town, it had a responsibility to do absolutely everything. Same was true of the BBC. I mean, the BBC is like the ultimate, philosophically speaking, kind of public Mm. service broker. It invented the concept, you know, to inform, to educate. And to entertain. And the entertain bit wasn't an accident. So the the incredibly conservative um, figure who led the BBC in the 1920s and 30s, John Reith, 
acknowledged there was a need for entertainment kind of as a way of, it was like a bright, shiny object that you dangled in front of people to bring them in. And then, so you gave them some light music, you gave them some comedy, and you whipped a bit of culture on them when they weren't hmm. expecting it. Yeah, right? put, put, yeah, catch up on their vegetables. Yeah, 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 exactly that kind of thing. And that model, I think, broadly speaking, is what happened in most European countries, because it's not until the 1980s and 1990s that you have the widespread introduction of commercial alternatives. So the public service broadcaster had to do everything basically up to that point. Mm. And so to some extent, it's a legacy, right, um, of that. And public service broadcasters do grapple with, you know, what, how we should be doing this in this day and age. Um, and I grapple with it, to be honest with you, as an academic kind of trying to think about what should public service broadcasting be? Should it just be, I mean, one way we think about it is the market failure argument. Should public service broadcasting only be the stuff that a commercial broadcaster wouldn't do? Like, it's like mopping up the stuff that we think is important. Yes, um, yeah. But if you left it to the market, we, it, it wouldn't get done. I don't know. I'm a bit cautious about that argument, but I'm maybe a bit more sympathetic with it recently. Because I look at things, for example, like the money that's spent on sports rights, right? Mm. Six Nations, for example, GA Games, whatever it might be. Now, RT had that market to itself for a very long time. Then Sky enters the picture, Virgin Media, Air Sports for a period um, were there. And the money that was sort of being offered for those things, for those rights, suddenly went through the roof. But the point is, if RTE had not bid for those things, those right, those games were going to appear on a commercial broadcaster anyway. They were yes. going to be made available. Now, some of those games are not protected um, under the 2003 Broadcasting Act, which means that you have to be made available on a free-to-air basis. And maybe, you know, if we're thinking about the future of public service broadcasting and a, vi- and a future where an RTE wouldn't bid for, let's say, the Six Nations Championship, we would need to revisit that list because the Six Nations Championship is not a protected um, event at the moment. But Republic of Ireland football games, they're protected. Most of the GAA significant games, they're protected. Those games are definitely going to be available on a free-to-air basis, whether RTE bids for them or not. So if I was in RTE, I would probably think... I think we let those ones go, the the kind of the high ticket items. And actually that our public service function might be better served by drawing attention and giving airtime to the kind of sports that, you know, don't receive that kind of attention. So, you know, in in recent years, I suppose, women's Six Nations. Mm-hmm. The, um, I mean, we're, the, the, there's no question about it during the summer, the sporting event of the year for us is going to be the, the Women's World Cup, right? Yeah, yeah. But that team has existed for quite some time. It really wasn't getting um, the attention that it deserved. You know? Yeah. Though I suppose at the same time, before we want to shrink RTE down to you know a very rigid definition of what is public service broadcasting, who'd watch it? Or a very, you know, its audience would collapse. What's the most popular um, radio show with respect on um, in Ireland right now? Uh, it's, it's Morning Ireland, of course. Yeah. By a distance. It's yeah. got twice the, um, yeah. the, the audience, right? It's an extremely well-resourced show, as it should be. Um, my feeling, actually, is if you give people high-quality um, content, I don't care if it's news and current affairs or if it's drama or whatever it might be, people will come and watch it. There is this kind of sense that, you know, you have to drag, you have to drag people in with populist content. I've always loved the way people used to talk about Frasier, the, the comedy show. It's mm. like it was too clever, right? How could this possibly work? <laughs> it was so clever, it garnered extraordinary audiences and it ran for 15 years. Right? Yeah. So I don't actually accept the argument that, um, you know, if you, if you shrink it down to kind of just the, it doesn't have to be the dry stuff. It's the good stuff. It's the quality mm. stuff. If you put significant resources into the production of whether it's drama, documentary, news and current affairs, children's programming, which is essentially RTE has abdicated um, in the last 10 years, 
people will definitely watch it. I don't have any concerns that, that you, would, you would see audiences collapse. They might, they might drop. They might go up. Uh, it's it's the might, but I suppose if you like, you'd still have Morning Ireland in that scenario, but you wouldn't have the you don't have the Ryan Tubney show now, but uh, you wouldn't have the whatever the replacement would be because that's. Uh, much more a lighter magazine I have, I have type. No comments on whether you know, the so, Ryan so, show would be a vital uh, part of no, any. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, my my point is is that the, the tone of those shows, the content of those shows that that come afterwards, in between, say, Morning Ireland and mm. the News at One, yeah, uh, would be quite different. I mean, it might be. I I, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't yeah. think any of us know. No, it might be more I, like a BBC Radio Four, which is you know very listenable stuff. What harm? I yeah. Mean, I mean, look. Um, I would say this. I'm an academic, who's, but so Radio Four is the thing I probably listen to most, and I don't listen to a kind of you know my pen and paper open kind of thing. Oh, great, more stuff in Latin. <laughs> I do it because it's genuinely great fun. Yeah, you know? it is. Um, it really is the best comedy on kind of radio that I'm aware of is on Radio Four. Yeah, absolutely. Roddy, thanks a million for coming into us today. That was uh, very illuminating. That was uh, Roddy Doyle there, Associate Professor of the School of Communications in DCU. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.